This is section 41 of Mark Twain, a Biography. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mark Twain, a Biography by Albert Bigelow Payne. Volume 1, Part 1, 1835 to 1866. Chapter 41 The Cream of Comstock Humor. With the adjournment of the legislature, Samuel Clemens returned to Virginia City distinctly a notability, Mark Twain. He was regarded as leading man on the enterprise, which in itself was high distinction on the Comstock, while his improved dress and increased prosperity commanded additional respect. When visitors of note came along, well-known actors, lecturers, politicians, he was introduced as one of the Comstock features which it was proper to see, along with Ophir and Gould and Curry Mines, and the new hundred-stamp quartz mill. He was rather grieved and hurt, therefore, when, after several collections had been taken up in the Enterprise office to present various members of the staff with Meerschaum pipes, none had come to him. He mentioned this apparent slight to Steve Gillis. "'Nobody ever gives me a Meerschaum pipe,' he said plaintively. "'Don't i deserve one yet unhappy day to that remorseless creature steve gillis this was a golden opportunity for deviltry of a kind that delighted his soul this is the story precisely as gillis himself told it to the writer of these annals more than a generation later there was a german kept a cigar store in virginia city and always had a fine assortment of meerschaum pipes these pipes usually cost anywhere from forty to seventy-five dollars. One day Dennis McCarthy and I were walking by the old German's place and stopped to look in at the display in the window. Among other things, there was one large imitation meerschaum with a high bowl and a long stem marked a dollar and a half. I decided that that would be just the pipe for Sam. We went in and bought it also a very much longer stem. I think the stem alone cost three dollars. Then we had a little German silver plate engraved with Mark's name on it, and by whom presented, and made preparations for the presentation. Charlie Pope, afterward proprietor of Pope's Theater in St. Louis, was playing at the Opera House at the time, and we engaged him to make the presentation speech. Then we let in Dan DeQuill, Mark's closest friend, to act the part of Judas, to tell Mark privately that he was going to be presented with a fine pipe, so that he could have a speech prepared in reply to Pope's. It was awful low down in Dan. We arranged to have the affair come off in the saloon beneath the opera house after the play was over. Everything went off handsomely, but it was a pretty remorseful occasion, and some of us had a hangdog look, for Sam took it in such sincerity and had prepared one of the most beautiful speeches I ever heard him make. Pope's presentation, too, was beautifully done. He told Sam how his friends all loved him, and that this pipe, purchased at so great an expense, was but a small token of their affection but Sam's reply, which was supposed to be impromptu, actually brought the tears to the eyes of some of us, and he was interrupted every other minute with applause. 
I never felt so sorry for anybody. Still, we were bent on seeing the thing through. After Sam's speech was finished, he ordered expensive wines, champagne, and sparkling Moselle. Then we went out to do the town, and kept things going until morning to drown our sorrow. Well, next day, of course, we started in to color the pipe. It wouldn't color any more than a piece of chalk, which was about all it was. Sam would smoke and smoke, and complain that it didn't seem to taste right, and that it wouldn't color. Finally, Dennis said to him one day, Oh, Sam, don't you know that's just a damn old eggshell, and that the boys bought it for a dollar and a half, and presented you with it for a joke? Then Sam was furious, and we laid the whole thing on Dan de Quill. He had a thundercloud on his face when he started up for the local room, where Dan was. He went in and closed the door behind him, and locked it, and put the key in his pocket. An awful sign. Dan was there, alone, writing at his table. Sam said, "'Dan, did you know when you invited me to make that speech that those fellows were going to give me a bogus pipe?' There was no way for Dan to escape, and he confessed. Sam walked up and down the floor, as if trying to decide which way to slay Dan. Finally he said, "'Oh, Dan, to think that you, my dearest friend, who knew how little money I had, and how hard I would work to prepare a speech that would show my gratitude to my friends, should be the traitor, the Judas, to betray me with a kiss.' Dan, I never want to look on your face again. You knew I would spend every dollar I had on those pirates when I couldn't afford to spend anything, and yet you let me do it. You aided and abetted their diabolical plan, and you even got me to get up that damn speech to make the thing still more ridiculous. Of course, Dan felt terribly, and tried to defend himself by saying that they were really going to present him with a fine pipe, a genuine one this time. But Sam at first refused to be comforted, and when, a few days later, I went in with the pipe and said, Sam, here's the pipe the boys meant to give you all the time, and tried to apologize, he looked around a little coldly and said, Is that another of those bogus old pipes? He accepted it, though, and general peace was restored. One day, soon after, he said to me, Steve, do you know that I think that that bogus pipe smokes about as well as the good one? Many years later, this was in his home at Hartford, and Joe Goodman was present, Mark Twain one day came upon the old imitation pipe. Joe, he said, that was a cruel cruel trick the boys played on me but for the feeling i had during the moment when they presented me with that pipe and when charlie pope was making his speech and i was making my reply to it for the memory of that feeling now that pipe is more precious to me than any pipe in the world. 
eighteen hundred and sixty three was flood tide on the comstock every mine was working full blast every mill was roaring and crunching turning out streams of silver and gold a little while ago an old resident wrote when i close my eyes i hear again the respirations of hoisting engines and the roar of stamps i can see the camels after midnight packing in salt i can see again the jam of teams on c street and hear the anathemas of the drivers all the mighty work that went on in order to lure the treasures from the deep chambers of the great load and to bring enlightenment to the desert those were lively times in the midst of one of his letters home mark twain interrupts himself to say i have just heard five pistol shots down the street as such things are in my line i will go and see about it and in a postscript added a few hours later five a m the pistol shot did its work well one man a jackson county missourian shot two of my friends police officers through the heart both died within three minutes the murderer's name is john campbell mark and i had our hands full says de quill and no grass grew under our feet in answer to some stray criticism of their policy they printed a sort of editorial manifesto our duty is to keep the universe thoroughly posted concerning murders and street fights and balls and theaters and pack trains and churches and lectures and schoolhouses and city military affairs and highway robberies and bible societies and hay wagons and the thousand other things which it is in the province of local reporters to keep track of and magnify into undue importance for the instruction of the readers of a great daily newspaper it is easy to recognize mark twain's hand in that compendium of labor which in spite of its amusing apposition was literally true and so intended probably with no special thought of humor in its construction it may be said as well here as anywhere that it was not mark twain's habit to strive for humor he saw facts at curious angles and phrased them accordingly in virginia city he mingled with the turmoil of the comstock and set down what he saw and thought in his native speech the comstock ready to laugh found delight in his expression and discovered a vast humor in his most earnest statements on the other hand there were times when the humor was intended and missed its purpose we have already recalled the instance of the petrified man hoax which was taken seriously but the empire city massacre burlesque found an acceptance that even its author considered serious for a time it is remembered to-day in virginia city as the chief incident of mark twain's comstock career this literary bomb really had two objects one of which was to punish the san francisco bulletin for its persistent attacks on washoe interests the other though this was merely incidental to direct an unpleasant attention to a certain carson saloon the magnolia which was supposed to dispense whiskey of the forty rod brand that is a liquor warranted to kill at that range 
it was the bulletin that was to be made especially ridiculous this paper had been particularly disagreeable concerning the dividend cooking system of certain of the comstock mines at the same time calling invidious attention to safer investments in california stocks samuel clemens with half a trunkful of comstock shares had cultivated a distaste for california things in general in a letter of that time he says how i hate everything that looks or tastes or smells like california with his customary fickleness of soul he was glorifying california less than a year later but for the moment he could see no good in that nazareth to his great satisfaction one of the leading california corporations the spring valley water company cooked a dividend of its own about this time resulting in disaster to a number of guileless investors who were on the wrong side of the subsequent crash this afforded an inviting opportunity for reprisal with goodman's consent he planned for the california papers and the bulletin in particular a punishment which he determined to make sufficiently severe he believed the papers of that state had forgotten his earlier offenses and the result would show he was not mistaken there was a point on the carson river four miles from carson city known as dutch nicks and also as empire city the two being identical there was no forest there of any sort nothing but sagebrush in the one cabin there lived a bachelor with no household everybody in virginia and carson of course knew these things mark twain now prepared a most lurid and graphic account of how one philip hopkins living just at the edge of the great pine forest which lies between empire city and dutch nicks had suddenly gone insane and murderously assaulted his entire family consisting of his wife and their nine children ranging in ages from one to nineteen years the wife had been slain outright also seven of the children the other two might recover the murder had been committed in the most brutal and ghastly fashion after which hopkins had scalped his wife leapt on a horse cut his own throat from ear to ear and ridden four miles into carson city dropping dead at last in front of the magnolia saloon the red-haired scalp of his wife still clutched in his gory hand the article further stated that the cause of mr hopkins insanity was pecuniary loss he having withdrawn his savings from safe comstock investments and through the advice of a relative one of the editors of the san francisco bulletin invested them in the spring valley water company this absurd tale with startling headlines appeared in the enterprise in its issue of october twenty eighth eighteen sixty three it was not expected that any one in virginia city or carson city would for a moment take any stock in the wild invention yet so graphic was it that nine out of ten on first reading never stopped to consider the entire impossibility of the locality and circumstance even when these things were pointed out many readers at first refused to confess themselves sold as for the bulletin and other california papers they were taken in completely and were furious many of them wrote and demanded the immediate discharge of its author announcing that they would never copy another line from the enterprise or exchange with it or have further relations with a paper that had mark twain on its staff citizens were mad too 
and cut off their subscriptions. The joker was in despair. Oh, Joe, he said, I have ruined your business, and the only reparation I can make is to resign. You can never recover from this blow while I am on the paper. Nonsense, replied Goodman. We can furnish the people with news, but we can't supply them with sense. Only time can do that. The flurry will pass. You just go ahead. We'll win out in the long run. But the offender was in torture. He could not sleep. Dan, Dan, he said, I am being burned alive on both sides of the mountains. Mark, said Dan, it will all blow over. This item of yours will be remembered and talked about when the rest of your enterprise work is forgotten. Both Goodman and De Quill were right. In a month papers and people had forgotten their humiliation and laughed. The Dutch Nick massacre gave to its perpetrator and to the enterprise an added vogue. For full text of the Dutch Nick hoax, see Appendix C at the end of last volume. Also, for an anecdote concerning a reporting excursion made by Alf Doten and Mark Twain. End of chapter 41. The Cream of Comstock Humor. Read by John Greenman.